Welcome to the Daily Fantasy Fringe Podcast. I'm your host, Daryl Wayne Cooter. talk some fantasy NASCAR. We're going to Watkins Glen this week. I know normally we talk a lot of baseball on the show, but as we start to change, we're probably going to be mainly NASCAR. That seems to be our bread and butter, and that's why people come to the DFSnotes.com website for the cheat sheets, for the fast 40, for the spreadsheets. Might as well let the weekly podcast focus on NASCAR. Maybe we'll work in some football. I doubt that we'll do football. That's all up in the air. A lot of things that DFS notes are up in the air because it's just kind of a hobby site for supplemental information, stuff that I do on the side that I figure, well, I might as well release it, even if it's not going to be at DraftKings or whatever, might as well put it out there. Who cares? See if anyone goes to it. And we're not really trying to make a lot of money. I don't know how any content site can make money. We've talked about that before on the Daily Fantasy French Podcast. We'll see. Fun things watching the uh, Fan Vice Roto Grinders feud happen see if anyone makes any money i don't know how they make money i'm not really trying to make money like i said this is just a hobby site stuff where i put things anyway get to the fantasy nascar i guess the first thing that i will say is the fast 40 will probably be released sometime today i'm working on that it's in the process spreadsheets are all good to go i might do an xfinity sheet tomorrow morning or an xfinity cheat sheet tomorrow morning just depends on how i feel but here's the truth you start kyle bush you make two punts, and then you pick two guys in between. There's really not much to it, and the two punts are usually always the same. I have to pull up the spreadsheet to look at it right now. I know they increased some of the punts' prices a little bit, so it's going to be tougher. But still, you just take the two lowest guys, Kyle Busch, and then two guys in the middle. You might be able to stray from the Kyle Busch love fest because there's not a lot of laps at Watkins Glen. This would probably be the least amount of laps you'll see in a race at race day score and if you're playing race day score it's always great if you use promo code dfs notes or if you're going to go play there that helps us a little bit like i said we don't really make any money just not going to happen it's not in the cards maybe it is if race day score were to explode and become really really big or just decent size maybe something would happen who knows Uh, Anyway, Watkins Glen, Xfinity-wise, people are probably saying, Why, we don't care about the... Yeah, you might care about the Xfinity. If you are, maybe you don't have to go Kyle Busch this week because he is incredibly expensive, and the punts, they've increased the price of the punts, which is ridiculous. If I was doing the scoring at race day score, I would bring everyone down about $1,000 and really make it fun to build lineups. Right now, it's not that fun to build lineups at race day score, and it makes people not necessarily want to play, especially when people just punt, punt Kyle Busch. So their alternative has been to, well, let's just raise the price on the punts because the punts ownership has gone up, but then it becomes even less fun now. I, I don't know. I don't control the salaries over there, but if I were to control salaries, I would drop, I would either, I would probably increase Kyle Busch, and then I would bring down the guys in the 11,000s down to the 10,000s, the guys in the 10,000s down to the 9,000s, and so on, so forth. The problem at race day score is everybody in the low 10,000 to 9,000 range, they're not good drivers. And then you go down to 8,000, it's even worse, and you got a lot of start and park people that really don't calculate that in. But they should. Anyway, that's NASCAR Xfinity. I'm not going to go into that today at the Glen. We're going to focus mainly on Sprint Cup. Like I said, Fast 40 will be out at some point today. And the cheat sheets 
for expensive. What am I talking about? They get spreadsheets are already out. I did release what I want to talk about was a trend sheet. So I went through the last four races, and that's what we'll start the show talking about looking at trends. And I've been doing this a lot lately, especially on the Fantasy NASCAR show, which we'll be back on this Sunday and trying to find trends. And if you look at Watkins Glen, I broke them down race by race so that you can see it. So what I'm saying here, you can actually read at dfsnotes.com. But if you're just listening, basically here's how it works. I look at top 10 scores and try to figure out what do I need to do to get guys that finish in the top 10. Because typically if you want to win a GPP, your drivers, all six, need to be in that top 10. Maybe you catch a break and get a guy in the top 15 or somewhere around there if the salaries are tight for a specific week. But for the most part, we're looking for top 10 scores. So the top 10 scores over the last four years, 83% of our top 10 scores have finished inside the actual top 10 of the race. So when you're picking guys, you probably want to target, is this guy going to be in the top 10, yes or no? If your answer to that is, I don't think this driver is going to finish inside the top 10, then that's not a good pick for your GPP lineup. Right? If you take an extreme punt and you think, well, you know what, this guy is probably not going to be in the top 10, I don't know if you're going to be able to get away with it. Because like I said right here, 83% top 10 finish. Now, here it gets a little more interesting. Usually when we say they finish in the top 10, they typically start in the top 10. That's not the case at Watkins Glen. One of the factors that we have to think about here at Watkins Glen is there's limited laps. And fast laps don't necessarily correlate with the guy up front. Sometimes we can make a correlation at intermediate tracks where the guy that leads a lot of laps probably runs the most fast laps as well. That's not necessarily the case at Sonoma or Watkins Glen. It should be. I mean, the leader has the cleanest track in front of them. But, I mean, we're talking about 11, 12. I can't remember exactly how many turns there are in Watkins Glen. And so it really doesn't matter where you are. Yeah, it's tough. You've got dirty air. But dirty air is not really a big deal. It just comes down to each lap, who runs the closest lap to perfection. It doesn't matter where you are. If you nail all of your turns, you're going to run a fast lap. Now, the guys at the top typically do run the most fast laps just because they have the fastest car, but it's not really something we absolutely have to target. Um, anyway, going back to where I was, top 10s, you got to get your guys into the top 10. But the tricky thing here is only 30% of cars that start in the top 10 at the beginning of the race finish in the top 10 in terms of fantasy scoring. So we want guys that are going to finish in the top 10 because 83% of them also score a top 10 fantasy day. Cars that start the race inside the top 10 do not do not end up in the top 10 in terms of fantasy. Only 30% of those cars looking at the last four races finish in the top 10. And the reason for that is because what comes to them features fewer laps, so you have to downgrade laps led a lot, a lot. I mean, the most laps led points you will probably see in pushing it is eight points from a driver. A driver having a dominant day at Watkins Glen will score a measly eight points. I mean, that means they led, what, eight times more, 32 laps, which is pretty impressive at Watkins Glen, 32 laps. But at the end of the day, that's only eight points. So lead laps really don't matter. Fast laps really don't matter. The real way to score fantasy points at Watkins Glen is place differential, place differential, place differential. It's almost like you need to approach this like a restrictor plate race. Now, you don't want to completely approach it in a restrictor plate race in terms of these guys are like all everybody's got a chance. You know, Landon Castle, Chris Busher, Regan Smith, they don't have the fluke. There's a big wreck and they move up to the front, like we'll see at 
Daytona or Talladega, but what we will see is place differential is the key to big points. And you can see the trend here. The maximum points is 68 points is the highest score we've seen in the last five years. Typically, the best score is 63. Guess what that sounds a lot like? That sounds a lot like a Daytona or a Talladega score. Uh, it's actually a lot lower than that. At least at Daytona and Talladega, they can pile up the laps led. But uh, here, you're not really going to pile up the laps led points. One guy cannot dominate. So 68, 63 points is the biggest score from the leader. I mean, 46 points is what you get for first place. The points, obviously, uh, it's going to fishing pitch the finishing position means everything. That's why we see 83% of the top 10 finishers are also the top 10 score. Finishing position means everything. And the other way you can score a big chunk of points is place differential. Now, hold on to that. Now, remember, go back to what we talked about. Only 30% of top 10 starters end up in the top 10 in terms of fantasy score. And that is because they can't score place differential points. When we look at just the basics of scoring, the way to score here is finishing position and place differential. If you start up front, you can't score place differential. You really can only go backwards. And that connects to the other point that if you look at the pole winner, if you look at the last five years, the pole winner is only finished in the top fantasy score once. That's right, the guy who starts on the pole only finished in the top 10 in terms of fantasy score once in the last five years. Why is that? Because he can't score place differential points. This is really, you want to approach it, and I believe we talked about this when we talked about the Sonoma uh, Daily Fantasy NASCAR show at DFSNotes.com. And the way to approach this race in terms of scoring and how to score and construct your roster is like a plate race. You really got to fall in love with finishing position and chase place differential if you want to score big and the trends pretty much show that out the problem is that when you look at a plate race and maybe it's not a problem it, maybe it's not a problem because when you got a plate race anybody is in play when we look at a road course race not everybody's in play a lot of these guys don't have the car they don't have the skill they don't have the experience and you can kind of say i don't see them possibly moving through the field so we have even limited more options. So on one hand, you don't have to look through so many guys. You don't have to take risky chances. That's good. But on the other hand, all of us are going to be focusing on the same small pool of drivers to score points, which means you know, we could see a pile up at the top, which is pretty typical for these races in terms of fantasy. You're going to be splitting the winnings, but at least you get a little taste of those winnings. All right, so to recap, we got to get our guys to finish inside the top 10. Everybody's on board with that. Remember, finishing position, place differential, those are the points. It's a plate race. 83% of the time, top 10 score are top 10 finishers. We really don't want to chase guys in the top 10. You can have one guy in your roster, I would say, maybe two. But you really, typically, they could have a good day. But they might not score a big point, starting guys inside the top 10. They have a chance to lead laps, they have a chance to dominate, but if you and you really need that dominator, you absolutely do. But I wouldn't go more than one or two guys inside the top ten because typically you could see a guy who gets placed differential who also dominates this race, because this race a lot of times turns into a fuel mileage, pitch strategy, stretch it out, try to work your way up front. And we saw that at Sonoma, anything can happen where Tony Stewart goes from having a horrible day, sitting in the back, he has to make a pit stop, and then all of a sudden the debris caution comes out and he ends up and he's in first place. And starting in first, he ends up winning the race. Anything can happen. 
Yeah, we saw last year at Watkins Glen, Kevin Harvick dominates the race but runs out of fuel on the last lap. Ends up finishing fifth, has a top five day, but not the best day because of strategy. Try to stretch things out. Dominators aren't always the end-all, be-all. Now, I think we do have to target one or two guys, probably in the top ten. And a lot of it's going to be determined on practice speed and what I see from guys. And there is a little bit of a correlation between practice speed and domination, but not necessarily. And you can see this on the trend sheet. Just because you had a top five practice day doesn't mean you're going to dominate the race. We've seen several times guys that really didn't show off much in practice that have either through pitch strategy or just didn't show with their hand in practice have good days. Last year, Harvick was your main dominator. He didn't really show much in practice. He wasn't in the top five at all. Neither was uh, the fifth best dominator, which I believe was Brad Keselowski, if I'm correct. He didn't have a top five practice day either. So it's a little hit or miss, and you can see that on the trend sheet. You don't really have to be in love with practice speed. What you should be in love with, though, is finding the way I'm going to construct my lineup is like this. I want to find big name drivers that are starting in the teens to the 20s. That is the way to crack the code. Those are the guys you go after first. Not necessarily the dominators, but the guys that are going to sit, hit you the place differential, and then maybe the value guys that are going to get your place differential. And then maybe, which is kind of almost a reverse way, a lot of times we start from dominators and then move down. But I really think this week you're going to go place differential, kind of like what we do with plate races place differential value and then my last two picks will probably be spent on who might dominate this race because remember at the end of the day we're only talking about five six dominated points but if you want to win the gpp you're going to need those five or six points that's just the way it is except for last year if you did kevin harvick dominated the race but because he ran out of fuel if you didn't have him you actually won the gpp so can you fade the best score it's it's possible because the guys that dominate, let's say you dominate the race, and then you kind of fall back and get shuffled in the mix and finish eighth. Well, what happens if you finish eighth and that means negative five place differential points? That completely negates your domination. So we haven't seen qualifying yet. We haven't seen practice yet. I don't necessarily think you have to have the dominator. And we saw that last year. You didn't really need the guys that dominate the race if there's enough guys that you believe can start from 20 or the teens and move into that top five. Remember, it's all about at the end of the day, I want drivers finishing in the top 10, check. I want drivers who can get place differential, check. And then probably my third thing is, can this guy uh, dominate and score some laps led? Not necessarily chasing laps led. Really, I, I would actually go even this far and say, I want top 10s. I want to try to avoid starting in the 10s. I want place differential from big drivers. I want place differential from value. And then after I fulfilled a lot of those and rounded out my roster, then maybe I look, can I get laps led? Because hopefully I can get laps led from a guy starting in the teens or the 20s. It's not unheard of. I mean, let's look at the top 10 score from 2015. And maybe this is too much strategy for you, but remember, we haven't seen practice yet. We haven't seen qualifying. And we'll talk about some guys that have done well at Watkins Glen. Another strategy note that I want to make is that Watkins Glen, Sonoma, completely different racetracks. Yes, they're both road courses, but as they'll say, probably in practice several times, Sonoma's more technical. It's almost like a short, flat track, whereas Watkins Glen is more like a super speedway, high speed, really not as technical. You can fly around. There's a lot of straight stretches. The S's, you can almost just shoot straight through high speed, uh, maybe one or two places to pass at Watkins Glen. Not as many places to pass either at Sonoma, but there are a lot of places to get past at Sonoma, if you understand what I'm saying. Like, 
you don't have a lot of opportunities to outdrive a guy, but at Sonoma, there's a lot of places to make a mistake and lose spots. Where at Watkins Glen, I think really you only have a couple spots really to make a move and only a couple spots really to mess up. Restarts will be crazy though. That's something that maybe separates this from Sonoma a little bit. The way Sonoma starts is you're really going uphill and you really can't make a mad dash or get a big run or make a lot of moves, which we'll see sometimes at Sonoma, a little bit of craziness, not typically. Whereas at Watkins Glen, it's not a giant uphill run. It's a straight boom right down the straightaway, cut hard into the turn. People dive bombing each other. You can see some crazy mayhem, especially because, especially since the new chase format where it's a win and you get in, and we are now a lot closer to uh, make or break time. Whereas Sonoma, you still got um, a plate race and a couple other races. We think, well, maybe I have my chance at some other track here. But at Watkins Glen, this is pretty much it. I mean, you look at the races that are coming up. We've got Michigan, uh, not really a good race for those middle tier drivers. Uh, Bristol, once again, another one where it's going to be really difficult for a middle-tier driver to win. And then Richmond, again. So this is the last chance really for some of the road ringers or people to just luck out and get a win. But it happens. I mean, we've seen A.J. Helmendinger win here. We saw Tony Stewart win in Sonoma. We thought we were talking about Watkins Glen here. But we'll just take the idea that anyone can win at these races, and you're going to see some crazy restarts and a little bit more people rolling the dice. Anyway, back to 2015. Last year at Watkins Glen, nine of the top ten fantasy scores finished inside the top ten. All but one, all but two had big-time place differential scores. The two that did not, Kevin Harvick and Brad Keselowski. What's interesting about that? Harvick and Keselowski finished second and finished uh, second or no third and seventh. That's great, third and seventh. Here's the thing: they both dominated the race. Keselowski. 6.75 laps lead points. Harvick, 7.25 laps lead points. But because they started up near the front, Harvick, 4th, Keselowski, 11th, they really couldn't get any place differential. So while they did the dominator thing, they missed out on the place differential thing, and other guys had much bigger days because they had the place differential thing. Joey Logano, top score of the day, 15 place differential points. Uh, number one in finishing position, 46 points there. McKenzie finished second, 40th, 40 finishing position points, 22 place difference points. Remember with Kenseth, and we'll talk about this, Sonoma, not his track. Watkins Glen, definitely a lot better at the Glen. Don't take all those road course races and smash them together. You can do it to an extent, but you really want to make sure you separate two and look at both sides. Another guy, Kyle Busch, started ninth, which is just on the edge of maybe you can get away with it because he got seven place differential points, finished second, good to go. Seven fast lap points. So he ran, what, 14 fast laps? Pretty nice. That can come from anywhere. Um, but there it is. I mean, the place differential average, I think, if we look at the top 10, is what, 10 points? Uh, you got Logano with 15, Kinsley with 22, Boyer with 12, Hornish Jr. with 15, Kurt with 9, Carl with 7. Paul Menard with 15, and then you got a couple value plays rounding out the top 15 of Biffle, Mears, Witt, McDowell, Bain, all these guys. Didn't really finish high. I mean, they finished actually, they finished around the, eh, they finished in the 20s. Pretty good. Got the place differential. But they actually weren't a part of the best roster because if you took Sam Hornish, you could build a pretty solid lineup. You could build a pretty solid lineup because you don't have to have the most expensive guy on the board. 
I'm not chasing laps led this week. I'm just not. It's place differential. It's finding guys like Joe Logano, who started 16th, or Matt Kenseth, who started 26th, or Sam Horse Jr., who looked good in practice last year, who started 24th. Paul Menard started 28th. That's the way to build your lineup. Don't need domination. Typically, I mean, domination could be bad at Watkins Glen because if you look at it, if your guy runs up front the whole time, they can really get screwed on pit strategy. They pit and other people stay out. It's really a tough spot to be in going into this last lap to decide, should I pit, should I not pit? We have fresh tires. Are you going to stretch it out? Sometimes being up front right there eliminates... Uh, can actually doom a driver, and then they fall back, negative place differential. Even if, say, you're leading and you lose some spots, that doesn't necessarily mean negative place differential, but that also that means you lose points. Like Harvick, that last lap, he lost, what, four? He lost two place differential points and about five finishing position points. If he has those points, he has the highest score of the day. But he faded a little bit. So, all right. I think we've talked enough about strategy. One last time, Watkins Glen strategy, place differential, place differential, place differential. I want big names starting in the teens and the 20s. That is the bulk of my lineup. And then I want value guys in the same spot. That's the way it bears out every single time. And I need to make sure they finish inside the top 10. After that, maybe I'll take a guy around the top 10, but I'm not taking the pole guy because, like I said, the pole sitter, one time, one time, have they finished inside the top 10 of fantasy score. They just can't score place differential points. And the trend shows I need place differential points. He could have a good day, but probably not going to compete with a Joey Logano putting 15 place differential up. All right, so let's look at some trends and find out who our favorite plays are for the Watkins Glen Daily Fantasy NASCAR race at DraftKings, at Fantasy Feud, and at Race Day Score, whichever site you prefer to play on. Probably get your best chances of winning at Race Day Score, second best chances at winning at Fantasy Feud, and then, but, you know, the big money, the harder competition, the guys entering 1,000 lineups, that's going to be at Watkins Glen. Tough luck, but uh, enter the contest where only the top three win, or enter the contest where it's a $27 entry, and then you don't have to worry so much about the guy that builds 150 lineups and covers all of his bases. Well, whatever. I'm not complaining about that. The more people play. I mean, the 150 guy, we hate that, that guy. We hate it. We hate the guy that enters 150 contests. But without that guy, Daily Fantasy NASCAR, that's what, 150 times 3 is 6. Uh, math in my head. Uh, math hurting my brain. $450. Whatever. That's a large portion of a lot of these games. And if you get rid of those guys, then DraftKings doesn't offer Fantasy NASCAR. It's just the way it is. And if we actually get more of those guys, then we get the big, big money pools like they have in golf. Um, golf has $1 million <laughs> tournaments. Football has $1 million tournaments every week. And the reason why is because they have a lot of those big time players entering a ton of lineups. So, you know, you kind of hate those guys because they're hurting your chances of winning. But if we had more of them, then we would start to get closer to that million-dollar prize pool. Don't think we're going to get there this year. Remember, I think we said we were going to have a million-dollar prize pool. That was ridiculous. I, I was completely wrong on that. But there was some litigation that happened this year that slowed the growth of Daily Fantasy NASCAR and Daily Fantasy Sports. But now that New York is back on board, I don't know when they're going to rule that out. But when that happens, we'll see a slight bump for Daily Fantasy NASCAR. But this year is not going to be the big year. Maybe you get a $100,000 prize pool winner by the end of the year. They do have that big championship. That's a good positive step. 
the big question, I guess it's not a big question, but maybe next year Daytona we say a $1 million to first. I, I don't know. That's a huge leap from $100,000, which we've only seen once, which we could probably see again through the year, but to go from a $100,000 payout to a $1 million payout, I'd love to see it because if they do a huge promotion like that, then that means they're going to have me kick out probably 50 freaking videos. I mean, this year for the Daytona rollout, they had me do, I was like 15 different things. It was crazy. I enjoyed it. I liked it. But if they go even bigger, then that means they're probably going to want more content, want more promotion, stuff of that sort. Anyway, let's look at some drivers and let's look at the salaries. Kurt Busch at 10400 I don't get it. I know he's driven well at Watkins Glen over the last three races. He looks good in the Stuart Haas racing, and he's been really good this year. I know he went through a couple races at uh, New Hampshire, and then he followed New Hampshire. Was it Kentucky as well, where he didn't finish in the top ten? I could have got that reversed. But uh, no, it was no, it was New Hampshire and Indianapolis where we usually can count on Kurt to finish inside the top 10, and then he didn't at those races. But the truth was he was running inside the top 10 in both those races. He got in a, a late race wreck, I think, in both of them in some of those crazy restarts that we are now accustomed to seeing, which we didn't see at Pocono. How about that? We didn't see. That's because they didn't end the race, you idiot. Yeah, that's right. We, we would have seen some mayhem at Pocono at the end, but we didn't finish the race but uh we'll get the we'll get back to that this week anyway kurt bush top 10 guy list every week Ten thousand four hundred, the highest price watkins glenn driver that really surprises me um i think he's the safest guy but if he starts inside the top 10 i really don't want anything to do with him kevin harvick's a guy that if he starts in the top 10 i definitely could consider him possibly even though like we said leading laps dominating this race doesn't really matter and this is a guy with a pit crew who tends to make mistakes which could shuffle him back so i'm not in love with kevin harvick either i don't think i really need him i don't know if i need any of these guys over 10,000. now i will consider kyle bush um <clears throat> i don't really like him if he starts I, I don't like anyone that starts up front top five because they don't get place differential kyle bush i can maybe take around seventh or eighth i don't even know where i'm going to draw the line in terms of how far up you can start and score. I gotta look closer at that and try to find a cutoff line of where is starting too far up front. We'll see. Uh, let's hope someone messes up qualifying and makes it easy on us. The AJ Allmendinger thing, I'm kinda over that. Uh, I don't really need AJ Allmendinger at that price. There's just too many question marks. He's got a pit crew that can make mistakes. He's got a car that can fall apart. Everything has to go right, and then at the end of the day, it's still A.J. Allmendinger. He's a good road racer. We've fallen in love with him a little too much because he won at Watkins Glen. The truth is, Juan Pablo Montoya exits, Marcus Ambrose exits the uh, scene, and we all decide, well, A.J. Allmendinger's the guy. That's because we're just searching so far for to crown someone the best road course racer. I don't really think we have to do that. I don't think A.J. Allmendinger is as good as we promote him. And I know I'm the main culprit because I talk about him in the rankings and on the cheat sheet and then in the price check video. But that is the popular play, and that is the popular narrative. He could finally get back on top this week, but at his price, I don't know if I necessarily need him. You know he's going to start inside the top five, and that alone pretty much limits my uh, play of A.J. Allmendinger. Like I said, my strategy is to get the place differential because that's what the trends bear out. And we know Allmendinger's going to start up front. That's what he does. He's going to start probably top three. How's he going to score points? Let's say he wins the race. 46 points. Let's say he gets 46 points, maybe three place differential. That's probably pushing it. 
49 points. I'd say probably 48. If he wins, 48 points. He dominates probably. I mean, no one runs up front the entire race. And so if he starts up front, he's going to move back at some point, and he's going to have to fight his way back up. That's a lot of hurdles to overcome. I would rather see a guy start in the back and, and work his way up front than a guy falling back and then moving up. I, don't, I just don't see where A.J. Allmendinger scores 50 points, and that's really what you need. The median average, the median score over the last five years for the top 10 is 49 points. Remember we said the ceiling was 68 or 63 when we're looking at these guys, this high price, we're considering them the top play. Do I see A.J. Allmendinger scoring 68 points? No. I don't see how he scores 68 or 63 points. Maybe 55. He would have to pretty much dominate the entire race to hit 68 where he typically starts. Now let's see if he starts somewhere farther back. If he messes up qualifying, then everybody in the world will be on him. Carl Edwards, I really like Carl Edwards a lot, especially if he uh, punts qualifying. He is the best road course racer there is in NASCAR. There's really no dispute. You could argue Tony Stewart, but a lot of that is based on performance from years ago. Maybe you could argue Jimmy Johnson, but I really believe it's Carl Edwards with the best top 10 percentage, the best average finish at Watkins Glen, top 10s in six of his last seven, top 10s in his last three at the Glen. I don't believe he's ever won. Well, I think he's won at the Glen. It might have been a while ago. He did win at Sonoma in 2014. That was, I believe that was Roush Fenway's last win when Carl Edwards won at Sonoma. Logano, I really like Logano. Uh, he had some okay races with JGR, but since switching to Team Penske, top 10s, and he won last year. Now, it was a fortuitous uh, win, considering Kevin Herc ran out of gas, but that's... Just strategy made a better strategy call, played the race better. Logano wins. His teammate Keslowski, priced right below him at 9300 they're both really good at the Glen. One of the things that we'll notice Keslowski, Kenseth struggle at Sonoma, but they're much, much better at Watkins Glen. So don't take all those road course races and smash them together. There's going to be a lot of people who will consider all road course races the same, and that makes Keslowski and Kenseth really good plays. They were great plays last year at the Glen, they're great plays again. Because people will just say, oh, he's not good at road courses. Technically, if you smash them both together, Kazowski and Kenseth don't have good road course stats. But if you separate and look at Watkins Glen for what it is, Kazowski and Kenseth both jump to the top of the board. And Kenseth is just really ridiculously priced at 8100 It seems like either Vegas or whoever was doing the pricing looked at road course races and looked way too much at Sonoma. And you know what? That was a mistake. They did us a favor. Now you get Kenseth for really cheap, and he's finished inside the top 10 in the last two at Watkins Glen. I don't know how you don't take Matt Kenseth. He just makes the perfect lineup this week. Uh, right above Kenseth, if we're just kind of jumping around, is Kyle Larson, who's raced pretty well at Watkins Glen. And he's raced decent at Sonoma as well. Not big-time scores, though. Not big-time performances. He did have a really good race at Watkins Glen in 2014 where he started Actually, no, he started towards the front, uh, had a pit crew mistake or something that f pushed him to 40th, but then he battled his way back during the entire race, worked his way from 40th all the way up to 4th. That's pretty impressive. The thing with Larson, and I wrote about this in the rankings, I believe, or maybe it was the cheat sheet or just, I don't know, it all blends together. Larson is a good summer racer. He's a late start, late bloomer guy. He doesn't technically have a specific track that he races well at, and maybe that's why these summer races work out really well for him, is that it's a really hodgepodge mixture. We've got plate races, we've got short tracks, we've got flat tracks, we've got long tracks, we've got long flat tracks we've got uh, all kinds of different setups and road courses of course as well so 
maybe this crazy mixture of changing from week to week is what is really good for Larson just because he's a racer and he adapts really well, whereas some drivers don't adapt to the constant changes. They would much rather go up and run the intermediate track ovals week after week after week. I don't know. It's still early in Larson's career, and we will figure out what it is that makes the guy tick. It's fun to watch him, though. Hamlin's a little bit more expensive up there, too, but Hamlin has really struggled at Larson over the last seven, or Larson, at Watkins Glen over the last seven years. I believe his average finish is something like 30th. Now, he did start his career out amazingly. His first four races were all top tens at Watkins Glen, but over the last seven years, he has stunk. I don't know. I would tend to believe that he is the guy he is now, not the guy that he once was. So not really in love with Denny Hamlin unless he shows us something during practice. But even if that happens, uh, I can't get on board with Hamlin. Maybe if he's got a huge place differential spot where he qualifies board. Gordon, a little bit more expensive than Hamlin. Gordon has not raced well at Watkins Glen in some time. His last three races, uh, don't know if they ended in wrecks, but you got a guy who, look, uh, 2015, 41st, 34th, and 14. And 36th in 2013, not looking so hot. Um, this is his third race back, which, you know, he was all right. He's had some interesting things happen. I think he got caught up in a bad restart at Indianapolis, which he admitted. And then in Pocono, he was okay. And he kind of made his move, and then his damn seatbelt came off. So if that seatbelt doesn't come off and he doesn't give up all those spots on the restart, which is crazy. I don't know if you were watching. He didn't have a seatbelt on. You think, well, just buckle it up. Well, it's kind of hard to put a seatbelt on when you're driving 200 miles per hour. And then let alone, hey, if you get in a wreck, you're dead. That's it. With no seatbelt, you go flying through the front. That is about a worst-case scenario. Scary. I mean, we saw... When Jimmy Johnson lost his steering wheel, went straight in the wall. That was bad. You know, that's you just can't steer. You just go straight in the wall. But you got your seatbelt on. With Gordon, you don't have any protection. You are going to fly forward and you are going to die, which is even worse because you're thinking, I shouldn't even be in a freaking car right now, and here I am about to die. What am I doing? Without that seatbelt, Gordon probably around top 10, top 12, not doing badly or poorly. But now, this is a tough race to have been retired and now you gotta jump into a road course. Road courses are tough on anyone and everyone, let alone like, hey, now you gotta go do a road course. You know Gordon is not that crazy or thrilled about this, but I imagine he's gonna he's gonna go after it. He's gonna have some fun. He's gonna race two more races after this as well. He's gonna be at Bristol in a couple weeks and I believe the Michigan race. So it's not like he's running away or trying to get out of here. He's approaching it and doing everything to help out Team Hendrick, which is a stand-up guy considering, though, he's a part owner of Team Hendrick. There's not much else you could do. I mean, he could say, I don't want to help out, let somebody else drive, but that's the money out of his paycheck. And he realizes that, you know, someone's got to fill in here. It's going to be me. It's going to be me. Um, it's just another thing is Hendrick – normally would have a guy to call up. Uh, in the past, we saw Junior uh, Regan Smith, who was a part of you know Junior Motorsports and that kind of Xfinity Series team. He was able to be called up. Right now, who would they call up? Kind of shows you what's going on in the Xfinity Series. Our guy is all right, but our guy is not a guy you bring up. Elliot Sadler is pretty good, but he's a lifetime Xfinity guy. You don't want to pull him up. What do you do? Uh, I think JG J- Junior Motorsports really needs to look at what they got down there. Um, I mean, put the let's take the shoe off the foot, and we've seen this happen, and flip it around. I don't even know what I'm saying. When Denny Hamlin or Matt Kenseth misses races, JGR last year had Eric Jones, a boom, put it into a race car and was really competitive. Henrik doesn't have that, and they absolutely need that. They've got to work on that Xfinity uh, truck series pipeline. That is a major, major hole.
Are you going to talk about everybody? No, I'm not going to talk about everybody. Clint Boyer is interesting. He's a little more expensive than I would want, but you could possibly get a bad qualifying position. And with Matt Kenseth on your team, you have a lot of salad to play with. So I'm not completely against Clint Boyer at the price. Paul Menard's not bad either. He had a big year last year. If he qualifies poorly, I can take it. I mean, he's got three, he's got 13th, 32nd, and 17th, and 12th. Uh, he's much better at Sonoma lately, but he's around a top 15 driver. If he can get you place differential, uh, that's what we're looking for. Casey Mears, another guy that hasn't finished outside the top 20 at Watkins Glen in the last uh, what, 10 years. I'll say that again. No, eight is eight years. He's been inside the top 20 in his last eight years. That's really impressive. The problem we'll probably see with Mears is he will probably start right around where he finishes. If he qualifies outside of the 20s or outside of 20th, maybe 25th, then I really love Casey Mears. Really love Casey Mears. Eric Amaral is on board too. I can consider him if he qualifies poorly. Danica will probably finish inside the top 25. Problem is, she will probably start a right about there. And if she starts in the 20s, I don't see her moving up into the top 15. She's never done it before. And if she can't score a place differential, remember, we need guys in the top 10. She's never been in the top 10 here. She can have a good solid day, but remember, your six drivers have to have top 10s. And that's why it makes it really hard to do these punts. And you would say sometimes we would consider one of these long shots starting way in the back who can crack the top 20 in terms of fantasy score. Like a Castle, we've seen McDowell's done it. Regan Smith has done it. A, a, a Cole Witt did it. Was around the top 15, I think, last year at Watkins Glen. Great day. Really worked out. But the problem is you don't really need to save that money because you've got the relief with Matt Kenseth. Now, we'll see what happens. If several of these guys really, I mean, really blow up qualifying and you've got $10,000 top drivers like Kyle Busch starting in the 20s and Kevin Harvick back in the 20s, craziness like that, then you might have to consider the punts. Then you might have to consider the punts. But unless there's a complete A-bomb dropped on qualifying, you really don't need to go with the punt. You can, but the problem is, let's say you go with the punt, but one of those guys in the 6,000 range finishes in the top 10. Because the punt guys are not going to finish in the top 10. But Eric Amarola, maybe. Casey Mears, maybe. One of those 6,000 to 7,000 guys, or maybe two of them, crack the top 10, and then they score more points. And that lineup saves just as much money and performs just as well as yours did. And you went with the punt, and you score... Yeah, you hit value, but value ain't enough. I mean, look, Cole Witt hits value, that's 25 points. You really need 45 to 55 points from every single driver. Value ain't going to get it done. Some of your top guys are not going to really barely hit value, but they're going to have 45 to 50 points. And then you're going to have some of those 6,000, 7,000 guys who really absolutely outperform. But you need 10 times value from Cole Witt or from one of those guys. That is a hard, high mountain to climb. Don't see it happen. How much Daily Fantasy NASCAR can it man talk? We almost went 30 minutes talking about Watkins Lynn. I believe we've covered all of our bases. DFSnotes.com will release the Fantasy NASCAR show this week. No doc this week. He's going to Vegas to bet his life away. No, actually, he's going to buy a house. So, Like I said, bet his life away. <laughs> bet his life away. Um, uh, 
maybe Wheels will be joining us. He's in the infield or the outfield. I'm not sure how it works out at Watkins Glen, where exactly you camp. But he's camping at the Glen. He's been there since Wednesday. Uh, hope he's still alive. Hope he's still alive by Sunday. But I'm going to bet even if he does have service and can join the show, he's going to be in pretty rough shape, in rare form. So I hope he joins us for a couple minutes and we get to enjoy whatever he's getting into. Doubt it happens. He's got beers to drink. But with us on the show, as always, will be Tobinator. Simo's going to be joining us. And uh, MJ. Who's that other guy that's going to join us? Uh, two fantasy NASCAR guys that are always part of our kind of our group. All I know is these guys' Twitter handles. I don't even know if I know their names. I think one of them's Chris. He's more of a, a wheel. Like, all these guys, I don't know. We've got these circles, and I'm not completely sure who everybody is. All right? Like, maybe I should feel bad about that. But I Simo's going to be there. I know he's done well, and he gets into fights with Doc every once in a while, which is really cool. But he's not going to be on. Doc's not on the show, so um, they get into Twitter wars. Always fun to watch them. Simo writes for somebody. I'm not sure who he's a part of. Maybe Scout. Maybe it's not Scout. Maybe it's uh, – and he'll correct me. I don't know. There's several websites. And uh, Anyway, I'm rambling here. Daily Fantasy NASCAR Show returns on Sunday. DFSnotes.com will be providing it. And then we've got a week off. How about that? But there will be Xfinity stuff going on next week, and we'll take care of that with spreadsheets. So check out DFSnotes.com if you're listening on wherever you're listening. NASCAR spreadsheet's there, which is updated throughout the week. I'll get the Fast 40 out sometime today, maybe tomorrow. I don't know. It just depends on how well I'm moving. And I think that does it, guys. Enjoy the Glen. This was a big week for me last week, or last year. Hopefully get back on track this year. Thanks for, um, I don't know, Trip Flight's fantastic.